Prepare yourselves for the arrival. And here we are, uh, The Rose Experience, Episode 3. With me today is the one and only David Chandler. David, you can go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, Okay, I'm a... um... (laughs) No, you can just say hi. Oh, hi. Yeah, hey. Uh, Yeah, this is our first time doing a Google Hangouts podcast, at least for me anyway. Uh, And keeping going with the theme here, I haven't been able to pin down a a solid co-host since the relaunch. So I'm bringing in guests sort of willy-nilly. But here we are. And rather than just record a, a an episode of, of a podcast talking about the latest gaming news, I thought we'd talk about something that we're both pretty passionate about and just switch it up. And that's going to be the state of games coverage address or just the state of games coverage um, and how we consume gaming news and previews and reviews and all that stuff. And that's why I brought David here with me. Uh, uh, I'm a... I respect uh, David's writing a lot, uh, and that's sort of where we got uh, familiar with each other. Uh, David, you could go ahead from here, I guess, and just sort of tell tell the people your background and what you do in terms of games writing and where you are. Okay, uh, so I write fairly regularly for Kill Screen. I got started blogging when I was throwing around some ideas for my doctoral dissertation. I knew that I wanted to write about literature and video games. So. Yeah, Dave is much smarter than me, by the way. No, that's, that's probably not true. <laughs> uh, so I uh, started blogging at IGN and a few other places uh, just to kind of generate ideas. And that's where I ran into Jason. And we just started chatting from there. The rest is Twitter history. Yeah. So uh, you, your doctorate, uh, what's that in? Because I know you're you're teaching classes right now, and that has to do with games, right? Yeah, it's in English Lit. I'm teaching one uh, class on modernism in media and uh, machine age literature, and mm-hmm. we just a discussion of Bioshock Infinite today. So, and how did that go? Oh, it went well. I mean, it's pretty easy to get college students pumped up about video games. Sure, yeah, I bet. Is, you know, studying old how do you f- and or, How do you feel about yeah. Bioshock Infinite anyway? Uh, I like it. I think it's interesting. I mean, it's, it's flawed, but it, in the class that we're talking about, we talked a lot about the uh, early 20th century, so I pretty much used it for its setting and its bizarre depiction of technology and mm-hmm. American exceptionalism. Uh, so uh, it's, it's interesting. I agree. I actually, I think I like it a lot more than, than most people does, despite recognize the flaws of the game inherently. But uh, yeah, anyway, I, I suppose we can roll right into the, the podcast proper. As I said, it's not going to be a typical podcast here. It's going to be talking about how we talk about and, and how the, our current games are covered. And that's from big to small outlets to how streaming influences uh, 
games coverage and, and, and garners a piece of the voice? And does that influence critique? Uh, things like that. What I want to start off is, is basically the, the state of games coverage as a whole um, and, and, and how we view it. Uh, David, like, what are your thoughts on the way games are covered? You, you mentioned that you're a regular writer for Killscream. I always uh, read your stuff, and I've been drawn into a lot of what Killscream is doing lately. And, and it's, a, it's a refreshing take on the way games are talked about because, uh, you know, as we, before we went on air, like, reviews tend to follow a typical format. Um, and the way Killscreen's tackling reviews is a lot different. You, you seem to get a theme... And you fit some of those things. The gameplay is such like this. The graphics is like this. But it's not worded like that. Right. Um, for instance, I, li- I really liked your Arkham Knight review. Uh, oh, thank you. Not to, you know, you, you took on... The, it's, it's more concerned about the, the technology, for instance, as opposed to... Or, or, you know, and it sort of muddied the, the world. But, I mean, through that, you get your point across about the review and, or, and, and how you felt about the game. So, anyway, like... How happy are you with games, right? the way games are talked about, reviewed, and covered these days? Uh, that's a big question. It is. It's, it's hard. And I think this is probably the broadest topic to get us uh, on point, and then we can uh, narrow it down from there. Well, I think, I guess I don't really think about games criticism in big picture that much anymore. I mean, when I started writing, it was... Uh, like I said, it was just to generate some ideas, but I, I was very unhappy with the way people were talking about video games. I thought that it was boring. And in my naivety, or probably a little bit of hubris too, I, was, I wanted to get in there and, and you know say games are certain. Well, that's how greatness has started, David. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I, I guess so. Um, but what I didn't realize is that people were already having these conversations about games and art and emergent narratives uh, all over the place. Uh, they weren't happening in a lot of big sites like IGN. Um, where we were. In, uh, say what? Just, yeah, it wasn't really happening where we were. Um, and, uh, I mean, there are corners of GameSpot with, like, some really great writing, and there are corners of IGN with some really great writing. Um, but as I started writing, I, I saw games criticism as less this monolithic thing that was just, you know, a pointed review scale, um, but more of, I don't know, like an amalgam of a, a bunch of different voices that were already there. They just weren't getting quite recognized by me. Uh, so I think the shorter answer would be how I feel about games criticism is that maybe we should stop thinking of it in terms of criticism holistically that you know there are corners that are consumer-based reviews and there are corners that are more interested in games as this emergent medium or relationship with art and there are more people interested in you know looking at games for their narrative depth uh Mm -hmm. so i i think the first step to talking about games criticism is to talk about it in more expansive terms like not as just this one thing that Mm -hmm. people are doing but rather a collection of different games criticisms i guess i'm out of the academy so we have to put an (laughs) s on the end of every single yeah exists um but i think that that's apropos here like if we you know just 
broaden our understanding of what games criticism is. Uh, that's, that's pretty much yeah. it. Yeah. And, and what do you think is the block right now of to get that through? Um, I have a few thoughts on it, but I'd, I'd like you to share yours before I jump in. Uh, like, do you mean why is... Like, what is stopping games coverage from touching on some of those uh, approaches you're talking about? A, a, a more holistic approach to criticism, as you said. But, like, is it the audience, the maturity of the medium, the maturity of the audience, um, the responsibility of the outlets that aren't being met? Like, how do you see it? Uh, I see it as a number of things. Um, but namely, like, if you want to talk about games criticism uh, in terms of art, you can find articles that are doing that. That's why mm -hmm. that's what drew me to pitch the kill screen. Or if you want something with a bit more, um, I don't know, more of a uh, social context, like there are websites that, that do that and podcasts that do that as well. Uh, but like I said, you don't see them on like the, if there are, if they can still be called as such, but like the giants of, they kind of dominate the games industry like IGN. Mm -hmm. uh, like at, in its infancy, Polygon did a relatively good job, but they've taken at least three steps back on that approach, which is disappointing. And I, I think we'll touch on that as well, but it's that that pursuit of the clicks format that, that hampers um, games coverage. You know, I, I don't want to just pigeonhole as critique, although that's a huge part of it because... I mean, let's say reviews, what what have you, are a huge part of, of games coverage. But, um, like, the way I see it is, I mean, yeah, games coverage and, and the way we talk about games is in its infancy. And But listen, um, the larger outlets are what sort of push the conversation, I suppose. Um, there's, there's room for a ton of different things, although with the closures we've been having at an alarming rate, uh, that may be changing. But... I got this feeling, and actually, it's crazy. Like back when when I was writing, like you at, at my IGN, I you know sort of had this idea. Like, I I wasn't I didn't think I was a very good writer at first, but I, I thought like I had a lot of thoughts in my head. Like, mm -hmm. if I can articulate these properly on page, but there's a lot of difference between in here and then what goes on the keyboard, right? Oh, yeah. And you just improve and you get better. And, and I think at the time, both of us, we were the guys getting featured the most. On, yeah. on IGN, whatever the hell that means. I, you know, it's just bottom line is it was pretty cool. It's probably the biggest gaming site on the internet. Actually, in fact, it is. Yeah. And we were getting as much mind share as some of the people that were paying to do it. And eventually that became a problem for me. Yeah, but yeah, like that became a huge problem for me. And, and therein lies a bit of the problem with game coverage as it is. Like now I'll just deal with, uh, IGN right now, for instance, just because they're market leader and like, I don't think they're doing enough to elevate their audience. Um, for instance, ever since they've shifted management there, I feel like the entire site has taken a backwards approach and it's caused that community that you and I met through. And there was a lot of really good writers there. Not necessarily just talking about games. Some were talking about film, music, whatever. And just, it was a really good melting pot for people to write and, and improve and, and talk about the favorite things that they talk about. And it seemed the the people in, in charge right then, it was Casey Lynch, he would foster that community. And right. the, the staff would engage with that community. And, and everyone was excited about it. But then they weren't. And now that entire community has crashed. It's just 
why a site would actively crush something that worked so well and was giving them so much is beyond me. And, and, and I, I just don't get it. And through that, that change in, in management, I think that entire site has suffered. Like it's, their editorial staff is almost, I mean, in terms of writing substantial pieces is almost gone. Uh, Colin used to write really good stuff, but now it consists of, of lists. It's like when IGM sold and they changed management, that pursuit of clicks became their only real pursuit. At least right. that's sort of the way I see it. And that's the way the, the, the big, the big outlets seem to, to thrive and push forward on. But if they're not trusting their audience to, to improve and, and elevate, elevate the conversation about this, this pastime that we love, who the hell is going to do it? Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think that the community kind of collapsed because the site maybe didn't have some sort of unified vision of what the community could be. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, you know, we, we tried our own things to, to interact with each other and to promote the good writing or the writing that we thought was valuable. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, like I told you, I don't visit IGN that much anymore. No, Mitch, I don't. A decent article today Who did? about uh, Mitch. Okay. Uh, that's his last name, right? Dyer or Dwyer, I don't know. Yeah. Um, he had a pretty good article about Unraveled and Firewatch and, you know, dealing with loss and trauma. That was, is that what it was? That's that was the premise. Yeah, that was uh, that was a subject of his article. And I thought hmm. it, was, it was, you know, it was some, it was good writing that I, I'd, I'd forgotten. That's a rarity there. Make its way to, uh, IGN. Uh, but even then, I think IGN does serve a decent news function. News, yes. I mean, and that's become more and more of their focus as a, as a news outlet and breaking news. Sure, but I mean, it seems like all these sites are doing the same thing. Like Dual Shockers is breaking just as much news. It's just they may not be doing it on a on, on as big of a stage, right? Right. I mean, as a as a news aggregate and, and and things like that, sure. But shouldn't they be so much more? I mean, maybe they maybe they shouldn't be. Maybe they're fine being that. But I mean, at least from my viewpoint, if you're going to be an industry leader, you should be you shouldn't be resting on your laurels. And I, I feel like the reason I'm, I'm, I'm focusing on them is because I feel like if they were to expand their horizons, it would help elevate that larger audience to maybe broaden their horizons and, and look at, at games differently and, and dare to venture to, to read other things. And it doesn't like games coverage isn't just writing anymore. Mm -hmm. As, as we both know, it's, it's so many other things. And I guess that, uh, you know, that, that switches the focus to like games cover in, in terms of video and and how does that work? I mean, recently the the closure of games trailers. I mean that that hurts. Like in terms of yeah, that's a bummer. closures lately, this one is is second only to to One Up. Like One Up was big for me. I loved One Up. I thought they were like a pioneer in terms of what they were doing, and they just lost their audience for whatever reason. Like, why do you think? the audience is, is, is drying up for, for these sites. Like, cause I mean, we, we're going to both sit here and say one up produced excellent con content. Like the one up show was what 
I mean, breaking for the time and at the very least, like it was doing awesome stuff. Like, I feel like if they were doing that show in today's landscape, it would have such a bigger audience. I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it might, but uh, you know, most of those people who, who want, you know, video content have migrated to YouTube. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and how do you feel about that? Oh, I don't really feel any certain type of way about it. Uh, as long as there are corners where we can find a certain locus that appeals to us or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, we have our corners to pursue. Um, things like uh, Jim Sterling's done really well on YouTube and with his blog. Uh, I think that he he's a pretty good example of somebody who's made it or Mm -hmm. And he's not just like, he doesn't pigeonhole himself. He's like that new, it's almost like he's an example of what almost what you need to be right. today to be successful. You got to be audio video and a capable writer. I don't really know how much writing he does anymore, but yeah. Well, on his site, he's, that's where he mostly does his reviews and they're, okay. they're of pretty good quality. Um, I think, and he's, but he also had an audience from the escapist to follow yes. him when he left, yeah. uh, which, you know, so did Colin Moriarty and Greg Miller and, and mm -hmm. the people at kind of funny, you know, they, they decided. And that's sort of their own, like, too. I think they, yeah, like, sorry, we're on a bit of a delay here. Sorry, folks. <laughs> Jump in. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like that's sort of its own thing too. It's like these established, I, 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 I hesitate to use the word journalists because there really is only a couple and, and we'll get into the people that um, we like right now and that are doing great work. I'd like to put those forward here, but um, I mean the Jim Sterling's and, and the kind of funny, I, it's like they've taken these established audiences that they've built at these outlets and, and gone on to create their own thing. Like I, they're not just the typical Twitch streamer or, or, or YouTube personality. Uh, they're creating their own businesses facilitated around almost, I, I, well, I mean, it, it's charity, right? Hmm. Is it, I mean, Patreon is his own thing, but I mean, and they are using their own money, but they, they're operating off patronage, basically. Yeah. I mean, I and merchandising, I mean. That is charity, but I mean. No. Something in return. Sure. And patronage, sure. Uh, and it's, you know, uh, Patreon, I think, is great uh, if, you know, you have an audience to start with. Mm -hmm. Like, I couldn't imagine building a Patreon for me, mostly because I don't produce that much content. Uh, but, you know, I don't understand how somebody could start a Patreon without already having a few people in pocket that they know that sure. they could jump off of. Yeah, it seems like in the... In the like in the problem I have with the YouTube generation and focus that is moving towards this, I think it's, it's pretty short term for one. And two, it almost seems like a popularity contest. It's, it's got nothing really to do. And this isn't, this is a generality. It doesn't mean like they're all like this, but it has nothing really to do with quality. For instance, I've seen a lot of guys on YouTube produce absolute crap and they just, I mean, they're garnering so much mind sharing. And for the life of me, I can't figure it out, David. I just can't. And, and, I don't know if it is, it, it's like they're, they're preying on the immaturity of the audience and the mindset. And, and again, these are generalities because not everyone's like, we're sitting here, 
I'm 36 years old. How old are you, David? 30. Yeah, you're 30. You're a young guy. Uh, but yeah, and, and we're consuming game coverage across the spectrum. I mean, I even even if I don't like it, I, I like to uh, listen to it, read it, watch it, just to see why this is working or why it isn't working so I can have a, a conversation with mm-hmm. people such as yourself about it. But it's like, it may not be good. It may not be good critical conversation or whatever, but they just, they do it and, and, and prey on the, like that, that need for popularity. And, and it's like these, like, I know there's uh, a, a mindset like this for any type of medium. It's not just gaming, but it's like these, these people will just, it's like fans of a team, you know, no matter what they do, they're going to defend that team and, 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 and only consume in, in that team. And it's like, I don't know, how how we talk about games and how we cover games can improve if, if that's going to be the the future of what we do right uh it doesn't I mean, you seem far more bothered about this than i do you're gonna find dude i'm bothered by just a lot of things in general honestly and like and that's what's great like i could tell you're you're probably a more relaxed guy me than me and and I like to have that because I'm just like sort of the sky is falling attitude with a lot yeah. of things. But <laughs> yeah, anyway, sorry, go ahead. Um, I don't know. Like the, the YouTube generation, maybe they are cashing in on a new type of celebrity, right? Like the, the that PewDiePie guy can get, you know, an insane amount of money uh, for doing his shtick and I mean, I don't know why people find him appealing or entertaining, but, you know, you can't, I can't really be mad at the guy for it. I mean, he's got No, I'm not going to be mad at, uh, at anybody, I guess. It's, uh, you can be mad at whoever you want to. It's your show. Well, no, yeah, no, but not for, for making money out that, you know, just for, for streaming games. But I'll sit there and admit, like, it's work what he does. Like, and I, like, I was, I was talking with a local, uh, YouTube guy, Rerez, I did uh, my podcast with him before, and he's carved out a, a good following, and he produces excellent quality content. It's more retro-focused, but he's been able to meet with, uh, like, Google Canada and things like that and how they're jumping in and how they view streaming and, and, and YouTube content creation as a, as a future. But, you know, he's just telling me about some of the business and logistic aspects between, behind creating content on youtube and how it all works in the business thing which is interesting to me but i won't bore everybody with that but even for guys like pewdiepie it's it's like it's it's hard to sustain that you know to it's like you have this viewership that demands this content from you and it's like they demand it every week constantly constantly and if you don't do it that viewership can dry up so it's it's pretty hard oh yeah uh games Criticism consumers are uh, ravenous people. Uh, I mean, when I was started writing at IGN, I was checking it every day and uh, you know just latching on to that any kind of information about you know the the newest game or you know going over from GameStop to game trailers to mm-hmm. see you know who had the news first. And this, yeah, I mean we're we're seeing the effects of that with the shorter articles on the bigger sites, the more uh, easily consumed information of the, the listicle style of writing. Mm-hmm. So it's, 
I don't know. I mean, maybe in that voraciousness, writing has adapted to more shorter forms. Uh, that's why I think Twitter is so interesting. Uh, you know, to try to communicate as much as you can in 140 characters. Uh, I, it's difficult. And it's definitely an art form. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's imagism. It's what Ezra Pound wanted to do to turn yeah. poetry into small blocks of words. Uh, and then to see something like, so again, to think of games media as this one thing that's constantly pulsing and evolving in ways that, you know, kind of freak us out a little bit. I, th I still think that that might be the wrong approach mm -hmm. because for all the people who are doing things like uh, just listicles or straight news or less plays and screaming when a Five Nights at Freddy's thing pops out at you, there's a, you know, other sites, I mean, Kill Screen where I write, Paste does a bunch of good stuff, individual blogs of uh, where people write and they're funded by Patreon are doing mm -hmm. some excellent the arcade review is fantastic. It's a wonderful publication. Uh, so all of that's out there. Um, it may not be pulling in big money from like IGN or, or GameSpot or Polygon, but uh, the occasional voices that pop into those spaces, I think, are uh, maybe one ways that those big outlets can make a profound gesture toward all these other alternative voices that are you know, trying to provide a mm -hmm. maybe richer isn't the right word but uh just a, a different sort of inlet to this conversation about the medium yeah um i agree i mean i by no means am i saying that there's not room for for all this stuff it's just mm -hmm. I, I suppose i'm right now i'm i mean there's the 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 create creative aspect of it with out the business mindset in it um, I was sort of just speaking purely from like a business mindset and, and, a, and a career uh, sort of thing, just because I see no growth in terms of like t traditional games coverage. I've always tried to look at games coverage when I was starting to look at what can be improved and, and how it can be done better. I looked at it and, and sort of related to, to sports journalism, for instance. Of course, there's a lot of fundamental difference, um, TV money, what have you, yes. Mm -hmm. But it's like, they give their opinions on, on the sport. They talk about them. Um, they do reviews on the games. They critique the games or, or what have you and, and, and fill in the gaps. But here's a profession that's grown. Like, some of these guys are making well into the six figures. I'm paid for their opinions, paid to talk about sports every day. They look extremely professional. They... Well, at least you try to, to think they're elevating their audience. And it's like, if I relate that to games coverage, I think there's a lack of professionalism. I'll just put it out there for one. In terms of, I think there's responsibility for, for people at some of these jobs that are every day and that you see. And for them not to, now I'm going to swear here. Like, they can't look like the everyday fucking Joe. And, and I think that mindset and that portrayal of, of the profession like you just don't give a shit and it just, it just shows it, it sort of reinforces that mindset that anyone can do this. Like, how do you, yeah. do you, do you take on that at all? Like, do, do you, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, just in from a business, I'm not talking about like, you know, the, the gentleman do work for fun and, and honestly, 
there's a lot of guys out there not getting paid for the running that are doing a far better job than, than the people that are. And I also think that's a problem too. It's like, mm-hmm. sorry, I'm, I'm giving a lot of information to work with and, and questions to rebuttal, but it's like in its infancy games, people that write about games, a lot of them just walked in off the street with no really previous writing experience. If there was a couple people that did have writing experience, like that's a plus. Like uh, there were certain stories across the the spectrum. You, you hear that from from people that have been in the business 15, 10 years, doesn't matter. It's like I'd never really written about video games in my life. I just walked into IGN and they offered me a job. And it's like cool. But now today you can't do that. No. I, well, you really And nor would I expect it. I mean, I couldn't walk into you know, I couldn't be a, a, a professor at your university without having some sort of relevant experience, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, as I think that if we look at the history of media criticism, we see, you know, games criticism, the way that it's written about and earlier in magazines and then now at the big sites was, you know, film criticism became about is this movie worth your dime around, you know, the age of mass media when people were trying to sell the movies? I mean, before then, criticism was something more akin to what you see in in the smaller publications. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are the aesthetic aspects of this thing? And then criticism was more of a dialogue and less graded on a scale of one to ten. if it goes above the seven, that's where you spend your money. <laughs> By the time that that was established as a mode of media criticism was the time when games started entering into the arcades. And then when they became uh, available to buy at home, games criticism didn't have that history that like literary criticism or uh, even mm-hmm. early film criticism had. So it, I mean, part of that's, just where games arrived at, at its place in time and people wanted to start talking about them. But even then, I think uh, academic discussions of video games have been going on for a while. They haven't been super popular like they're starting to get now, but uh, Janet Murray's Hamlet on the Hollow Deck, which was a discussion of video game narrative, like that was published in 1997. Mm-hmm. And even now that book is kind of old hat, even though it's still got some great discussions about how narrative functions in a game. Uh, So, yeah, nobody can go in off the street like they used to anymore, but nobody can do that for any jobs now. Uh, I mean, that's just where we are. Well, I certainly hope not, but I mean, the reality is sometimes uh, it's who you know. (laughs) But Oh, I was going to throw a bad joke in from Step Brothers. I don't know if I remember. You've seen Step Brothers, right? Yeah, it's been a while. Oh, but the one at the beginning, it's like, you know, why doesn't Dale work? He's like, uh, he wanted to come work at the doctor's office with his dad, but it's all oh, about who you know. And she's like, but you're a doctor. He's like, that's what I tried to tell him. But anyway, yeah, like, um, but sorry for the, you know, it's completely out of left field. But yeah, um, you know, you don't want people to walk you from the streets, but it's like these people who who walked in from the street and, and it's, it's like once you're in the door for this greater world of, of, of games coverage and discussion, it's like you're in for life, no matter how good or bad you are. Um, yeah. 
like I, I don't want to name names. I mean, I will if I have to, but I'm not going to just delve in. But I've seen a lot of bad writers go on and just continue to get more and more employment. And it's like, mm-hmm. why? And then, and then I look at your writing or my writing, and and like I give it over to to somebody. And of course, we're all biased. We we think we're you know better writers or, or better than what we are. And I'm like, it, it it's just picked apart, right? And it's like, or you 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 apply for a job at one of these places. I'm not saying you know either of us had, and and you you put these credentials, in, and you're far more uh, qualified than than any of the people that that were in it in the first place. And it's just, but it's not good enough. Well, I mean, it's also about fit as much as it is about quality of writing right i mean yeah a lot of people started writing off the street but that's that's what kind of set the tone Mm -hmm. so in you know you you produce what's easy to be consumed i mean it's a consumer model of information uh is is feeding us so in terms of uh calories we need yeah uh, or at least what we think we need empty calorie type stuff so what are some of the sites and and people that are that are putting work that you that you like right now uh right now i really like so gita jackson's done some great writing and and she and uh, a couple of other people are doing the match three podcast which is excellent okay um jed Pressgrove, whenever he pops up i like to read his stuff because he and I disagree on a lot of things, but it's always really thoughtful. Um, and he's really made me rethink some of my opinions on certain games. Um, Lana Polanski, I think, is great. Her writing is, is I've actually used it when I've taught video games in some of my writing classes. Uh, as an example of this is how we write well about games. And I, you know, I. I'd love to plug the kill screen. Yeah, for sure. Staff, I think that they do, they do great work. Uh, and again, the arcade review, um, unwinnable. All of those publications are, are really, really good. Uh, so I mean, there's, there's a lot of it out there. Mm-hmm. But you know, like we've said, it's just it's not getting the, the numbers. No, and that's that's where I want to take that from here. Let's just use your site, Kill Screen, for example, like. I don't know how far you are in or, or how much you talk about this, but like without getting into particulars or, or betraying anything, like from a business aspect, is Kill Screen grow, growing based on what they're uh, doing? Well, they did have a really successful Kickstarter to bring back their print magazines. That's right. So I saw that. Things, uh, I mean, things are looking up. We've gotten new writers and, you know, I, so you're hiring new writers. I wouldn't say is. Well, I. Yeah, I think there was hire a recent regular, um, and even then, like I'm not, I'm not a uh, hired member really. I just uh, pitch some ideas, and if they like them, I'll churn out an article. Okay. Uh, so I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I'm just a. Uh, I'm just a guy who likes to talk about video games. If they're happy to have me, I'll I'll write for them until they're ready to let me go. Uh, but yeah, I, the the site seems like it's in it's in good shape. But and following know, up on that, in terms of uh, like 
writing. Okay, let's just deal with writing right now. Um, how do you feel about? It seems like more and more um, writers. It's it's not in terms of like a you can't have a salaried career right now in games writing. It's it's extremely difficult and it's getting even more rare, uh, which is sad. But that's the reality, and, and more and more sites are moving to a freelance base. Um, shit, I lost my train of thought here. What was, I gonna, what was my question here? But it's like, yeah, I, I, it's just gone. It's gone. Um, but it's like, it's not a sustainable career, you know what I mean? Like, and do you feel as, do you feel as if in order for games writing to be relevant and, and on the tip of the tongue, I really don't feel like freelance is, is the way it's going to be able to be done. Uh, I don't know. I mean, what do you mean by relevant? I guess that's not, that's not the best word. Um, maybe relevant to the person writing. I mean, it, it gets to the point where if it's not worth your time in terms of a, a monetary thing, like at some point you, you, it goes beyond writing for fun. At least it did for me. Um, if I was going to write, you know, for somebody, I mean, I write for myself for free. That's fine. But if I'm writing for a site, I mean, I have to get paid for what I'm doing. And Absolutely. in order for people to get better at their craft of writing, whatever it is, now it's coming back to me. Now I, I know what I want to say. But in order for people to improve at their job, they would have to do it more. But it's going to be very difficult to do it more if there's not a sustainable pay model in place. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody could make a, or I don't want to say nobody. Um, I'm sure some people can figure out a way to do it. Maybe. I don't know. But it'd be, it'd certainly be impossible for me to sustain a career. As a mm -hmm. um, just because I write slowly and I play games slowly. I do as well. Uh, so I don't, yeah, the, Depending more on the freelancer model is certainly worrisome. I mean, we're seeing that in the academy with the um, heavy crutch of adjunct work that, you know, the universities are doing. Um, so, yeah, that's a, it's a bummer. Um, yeah. I don't know. I really don't know any other way to, to yeah. put it. Or, it is just a bummer. So, like, in terms of, it almost seems like being only a writer in games right now isn't mm -hmm. a sustainable career. Would, no. No. No, certainly not at large. Okay, and we'll come back to that, I guess. Um, in terms of me, like, who do I like? I guess I look for different things in, in, in games writing. Like, in terms of a journalistic approach, there's really only a couple people doing it. And despite the shit that could talk you got for all those years, like, I feel like they've really come back. Like, Jason Schreier like is doing an excellent job. Him and Kirk. Yeah. It's like... That guy's the only guy actually getting out there and, and, and getting the scoops. It's like, it's him and Kotaku and like NeoGAF that, that seem to break that. The, the, I'm not talking about the, the regurgitated news that the, that the PR execs give from developing companies and stuff like that. I'm talking about like shit we wouldn't even know about. And it's like, you know, what are these things? And they break down. You know, I've learned probably more things from NeoGAF than I have from, from any other site. Now, there's there's a lot of crap there, but there's a, really, there's a lot of smart people there, too. Mm -hmm. Like, in terms of... I learned more about the technical and development aspect of, of video games 
through NeoGAF than probably anywhere else. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, in terms of writing, who else do I like writing? I, I mean, Jeremy Paris is always, I'm a big fan of his. Um, I followed him for a lot of years. Um, and, yeah, like, I, I used to read a lot. Like, I grew up in the era of, of game magazines, EGM, Game yeah. Pro. I loved Game Fan, even though years later I've I've learned that the editor-in-chief wasn't the most uh, sound fellow and fair fellow, but I loved the magazine growing up anyway. And it seems like like they, they, they were willing to try different things and have a lot of fun. Of course, print has gone the way of the dodo and, uh, and, and, you know, that it's like, and it doesn't translate directly to websites. Right. Um, so in terms of, uh, of game coverage and, and, and where it goes, it's not enough to be a writer now. Like, how do you feel about, uh, like, the personality aspect uh, and how that's driving games coverage? Because um, there seems to be a focus on it lately, and, and it's like, like, when you use Greg and Colin, right? Uh, they were kind of IGN, right? Yeah, I think that's fair. Is that a fair, th- fair way to put it? And it's like, now that they're gone, it's like they're struggling to find that identity. It's like they were on the IGN app on the PlayStation Xbox, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's like they're struggling to find that identity. And it's like, are people more apt to latch on to personalities in games coverage? Or, or is it the, the content of, of, or is it the quality of the content that they're latching on to? Um, I don't know. I mean, wh- why do people listen to zero punctuation? Or look at his videos. Is it because he's funny and, and uh, cynical, or um, is it because buried under that persona, there's some you know decent critique of criticism? I think it's both, uh, right? Critique of, of games. Uh, yeah, I mean it's a it's a little of column A, a little of column B, but it's I I don't I don't I don't know. Um, <laughs> mostly because I'm never going to be the. Uh, personality-driven type writer. Yeah. Uh, very few things that I write are about me. They'll be like, or I'll start with a memory and then try to connect it to, you know, something that I write about. But I'm not like that personable sort of uh, writer that, that people will follow because they want to, you know, hear more about me. Uh, I'm a teacher. I don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not a, no, but I'm, I'm glad you say that because I think we're different in that respect. Um, sometimes it's like we all have a way we can go. I can I can write different ways, but when I talk about games, I suppose they're personal for me. So I always put myself in that conversation and what is just coming out, and then I build the writing around that. I mean, in reviews, I take myself out of it to a certain extent, but um, a lot of the I like. I'm an opinionated guy. I'm a passionate guy. And that's reflected in a lot of the things I do, not just games. And whereas your approach is completely different. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm opinionated and I'm passionate about a few things, but I'm, Oh yeah. Sorry. I didn't mean to, to mean that you weren't at all. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I, um, I don't, uh, I don't like people 
to read me, you know, like mm -hmm. for them read my writing or read my ideas in a way. That's why, uh, that's why I like teaching so much is that it's, it's certainly performative, but, you know, it's elucidating a certain text or um, a work of literature, a film, uh, a way to write a paper. Uh, but it, it never becomes about the person behind the podium is, is what he or she can deliver, uh, which may be kind of a, a blanket statement that, that might not always be true. I mean, there are certain teachers that I, I took because I liked their, you know, stage presence. Or, mm -hmm. And there are certain writers that I follow because I like their bravado or their, their certain shtick. But uh, that's never been one of my strong suits. I don't like a, a Ben Kuchera. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm never going to be that incensed or that uh, uh, I'm never going to have that type of following. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just not what I'm good at. See, but I like, you know, you, you, when you talk, you can bring up certain words like incensed and that, that name immediately came to mind in terms of the way he writes. It's like, he writes angry sometimes. Yeah. And it is like, I wish we could get more of, of these different, you know, flourishes of, of writing and personality in our games coverage. I, I really feel like that would make it a better melting pot rather than be this, 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 void this this massive place devoid of personality and and identifiability like i mean if it's just reviews and previews and then the news i mean that is so boring like what where's the challenge in, in in talking about the games again i use the sports uh analogy and the way they cover sports they've mastered it and and they've built a huge business off and, and millions and uh, dare I say a, a billion maybe even people consume this stuff and pay for it and with games uh, I mean in terms of the numbers uh, generate just as much money as as film although you know those numbers can be skewed either way but let's just say they're both ex they're making a ton of money right mm -hmm. and like how many how many people does the film industry employ like but actually you know what I'm looking at the wrong because uh, the moral mindset, like from a coverage aspect, uh, you know, the film industry maybe pay, uh, employs the same relative amount of people as games does. And they're, I don't know enough about the film industry and how they cover things to know how their business model is. Uh, to say, but it seems like it's doing okay. Like for instance, um, films reviews and, and, and coverage tends to make it to a local newspaper more often than a games would. Right. Mm -hmm local columnists have a, a job more than a, a, a person talking about games would mm -hmm. and traditional media. So I guess it's just how they viewed. Um, I guess we can move to a, a different front and that's, that's like Twitch streaming. And it seems like in, in the vacuum that's, that's left behind from this, this exodus of traditional sites and, and how games are talked about it. It's more of like the, we touched on it a bit earlier, but like Twitch streaming is, is huge now. Like, how do you feel about, like, Twitch streaming and, and how it relates to games coverage and, and pushes forward a conversation? It's like, it's like people are questioning the way we, we preview games because why read a preview in, in written or, or from a traditional outlet when you can get a guy who has this large audience that gets a free game advanced and you just watch him play it, right? Or him or her. I shouldn't say him. Yeah, I don't... Again, like, I don't follow a lot of Twitch streamers. I don't either, but, I mean, it's just... 
Yeah. Yeah, I really only pay attention to Twitch when it's something like awesome games done quick, and I can watch mm-hmm. a bunch of people. Like I like. I consume. I use Twitch for like. I love fighting games. I watch all the big tournaments. Um, esports purposes, a professional aspect. In terms of like, I'm never gonna tune in. Like, I'm the wrong guy. I'm a little bit older, just like yourself. And I'm not even necessarily saying that age plays a big part of it, but it's like I've seen, you know, games all the way through. Like I was there for the Atari and Activision, even though I was young, young, but I was there. It's just like it's funny. Like I've seen the eight track to the vinyl to the tape to the CD and now to nothing at all. It's it's given me uh, an appreciation for all these different mediums and and how it just relates to game coverage here. It's just it's like I tune into these Twitch streamers and. And, and the conversation going on, and, and it's like, no doubt it's huge. No doubt this is a the business of the now in terms of, of games. But is this the future of, of how we talk? Because you, you hear all these guys that go on and, and, and have moved away from traditional outlets and are, and are the Patreon people and what have you. And they're like, this is the future. This is the way it is. Like, for instance, I heard uh, Greg Miller on in a recent podcast. It's like, you know... And they're talking about how E3 is and, and how, you know, EA pulling out was like a, this this modicum for a bigger a bigger thing that's going to happen with traditional uh, conferences. And that's a different conversation. But then he's like, you know, why, you know, you bring EA would just bring out Pele anyway to talk about FIFA. You know, why don't you just bring out a bunch of uh, soccer streamers and, and, you know, things like that, you know, where they're more known. I'm like, really? Like. Is that is that really what people want? Because to me, I mean, they both don't mean a heck of a lot to me. But I'd rather see uh, a Pele talk yeah, about the sport like and push it forward than than a bunch of guys that just look like just crawled out of their basement and, and you know and they're like, oh, you know, we're playing soccer online. Is that like that's what you want to put forward for your game? Like, I don't know. I went off a bit of a tangent, but it's just like, how do you yeah. see Twitch streaming and 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 the way it's taken a, a hold? In, in, in games? Um, I mean, I see it not as the future, but a future. I mean, mm-hmm. again, like as long as I've got different people to follow or, or different voices to, to listen to or, or to read, I'm not, I'm not all that bothered by it. I mean, I don't know if Twitch is going to like take over games criticism Cthulhu style or, you know, just kind of absorb everything, but uh, I, like you, I only turn to it for tournaments or uh, you know. Have you ever turned now, for instance, have you ever gone to Twitch? There's a a big game coming out. You're hyped for it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And you know it's going to be on Twitch because it's inevitable that these guys seem to get these games. Or or they know a guy at EB Games that gave them a an advanced copy early. Do you ever go on there and you're like, I just want to check this game out? Oh, oh God, no. No, Twitch intimidates me. There's like a lot of chat windows. There's different things to click. I, I, if I don't if I don't know what I'm going to see, I, I, I don't go there. Okay, so, yeah, that's not so something I'm, that you look like, for. I'm like the worst person to talk to about Twitch. I, I may visit it, you know, fewer than 10 times a year. Okay. It's usually just when people are like playing Mortal Kombat, and I want to watch somebody who actually knows what the hell they're doing in Mortal Kombat or uh, Injustice, just because I'm I am not that guy. Like I, I I don't like fighting games that much, 
Um, but uh, I like to watch people who are really good at what they do do what they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll stream a game of StarCraft while I'm making a lesson plan or something, and then you know, kind of see if I can appreciate somebody's nuanced understanding of a game that uh, is beyond me. Uh, and in that respect, I think that Twitch is pretty cool. Uh, mm-hmm. As far as like news or previews, I, I don't know. There, it's it's not really my thing. I like to consume things that are really specific or, or read something that's very specific or through a lens that I, I find interesting rather than just let me show you this game coming out. Mostly because I don't I don't care. That's not mm-hmm. my value about games. Just you know seeing the thing. Uh, I value games that are, you know, kind of trouble me or, or that, you know, I, I can watch, you know, somebody who's really good at them or, if, you know, they do weird glitch stuff. It kind of knocks me out. But uh, as far as previews or stuff go, I'm, I'm not that into it. Yeah. But can you, so you see it as a, as like a companion as opposed to a replacement for traditional yeah. games, media or whatever. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. Like, I I mean, I'm not against it. There are things that I just, I have a big problem with with if this was just the way you, you consumed games coverage. It's just like, mm-hmm. it, there's a lot of gray area in there. I mean, people worry about traditional media taking handouts or, or whatever for, for coverage. And, I mean, I'm not going to say either way. But, I mean, I think that's a bigger problem in the YouTube stream. I'm not going to say like, like they're all doing it, but branding deals are reality. And sometimes the, the reality of getting these games early is they sign these, these NDAs or, or agreements that they can't, you know, and not to make it look fake. They, they, here's these canned statements you can say, but you can't be overly negative towards our game. And then, you know, you've got 50,000 people tuning into this. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, this is a, this is an audience that a traditional games media could only hope for in some respects. Yeah. yeah. That part of it is a bit upsetting. I mean, I'm a big fan of consumer rights in that respect and that misrepresentation certainly bothers me. And it's like, how do you get a grip on it? And how do the, the people that are consuming this not see the, the forest through the trees? Yeah. It's like, oh, I don't know. like, I just don't, I don't get it. And it, and, and if this is the way the audience is, how do traditional outlets, you know, transform their business model into, you know, grabbing that or, or being a part of that? I mean, I've seen them go on and they try to do these let's plays things and, and, and videos of that nature. But I don't know. Again, that's not really for me either. Like mm-hmm. basically what I'm saying is, is if Twitch streaming is the future of games coverage, we're fucked. Yeah. I don't think it's, <laughs> future i just think that it's another aspect of the field that doesn't really have a singular identity and that's okay Mm. i mean let let people twitch why not um eventually like if enough people you know fall for the thing and and pre-order terrible games uh the that side of the industry may collapse Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw like the backlash of people who pre-ordered Arkham Knight on the PC. 
yeah. and that was a complete shit show. And then, uh, you know, the year before the that Assassin's Creed game that the name's escaping me. Uh, Unity. Yeah, yeah, I reviewed that game. And uh, we saw the backlash this year with Syndicate, which was a better game. Mm-hmm. But um, I still think Assassin's Creed is just a series of untapped and unfulfilled potential. But, I mean, yeah. it sort of hurt their walls. And now the news yeah, came out today good. that um, yeah, they're, skipping they're skipping this year. Yeah, good for them. I Finally, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know what? Let's Let's do a little critical discussion in terms of how we would, you know, talk about this. How do you view Assassin's Creed? Uh, it was pretty sweet when I was a pirate, and I liked the first one. Uh, I liked the setting. Interesting, because I share that thought. Why? What about the first one grabs you, and then what about the rest bothered you that they didn't carry forward from the first? I liked the first one because it kind of, trusted the player to find her way through the whole game like here's a dude that you have to kill do all these things you're rewarded with a sword or some extra knives or whatever you know it's kind of a character progression um and then you know you go to a place and there's a cutscene, and there's a person in the crowd assassinate this individual mm-hmm. and you have to figure it out yourself to, to do it and by doing different optional missions which were like let's face it um assassin's creed one was more of a uh it was it was not fully realized it was like a a a graphics engine showcase with the game fit into it but it's like this pattern for something that could be so much more Mm -hmm. and even though the gameplay things were tedious the overarching message that it was trying to get forward to the end goal of assassination was interesting because, you know, you could pick the pocket, you could do this thing, and then maybe you learn that there's another way to infiltrate this this mm-hmm. place where this assassination target is. And you could take all these things. Now, and, and that's the idea I loved. My problem I have, even with Assassin's Creed 2, is, is, which many put as, like, the best in the series, I have never saw it at all. It's not a bad game, but it's like, it changed the focus. I did not feel like an assassin really in, in Assassin's Creed 2. Yeah. I felt more of just this guy who would run in and kill 20 dudes and one of them just happened to be my assassin's target and then I'd throw a smoke bomb and get the fuck out of there. Like, mm-hmm. it took the assassin the, out of the namesake and, and gave us this game. Now, I've always felt like Assassin's Creed, for instance, is um, it's gone by on, on, on beautiful worlds and graphics and this... Promise of a like the characters are cool, like the the robes look cool. You want to be these this cool assassin, but the narrative has always fallen flat. the oh, The gameplay has taken significant steps back. Like stealth is shit. You're an assassin. How can they not figure out stealth through seven games? I, I don't understand that. And these games get eight and a halfs and nines. It, it it drives me insane. And then these little systems they have that that insulate the greater goal are poorly handled, poorly explained, and poorly implemented. And they're just there. And, and then they ditch them, and then they put them in the, in, in new ones in the next game. Yeah. So, I mean, Assassin's Creed is something that I've always found fascinating as to why it sold as much as it did in the face of, in terms of what I see, is just not great gameplay and not great narrative. It was more of like this... Assassin's Creed, basically, for me, is this promise of something that could be greater 
but it's it's like a pretty woman with not with with no brain. Hmm. It's uh, I think that it's it, the franchise's greatest sin was just constantly grafting more stuff on it, right? Mm-hmm. So, like in Assassin's Creed Two, you had this kind of pointless villa that gives you money that you didn't need to buy stuff that you know wasn't all that effective, um, or not all that more effective than what you had in your hand because the controls just let you wait and encounter and everybody attacks at once. Yeah. Blah blah blah. Um, Brotherhood added, you know, your uh, Assassin's Guild, which was kind of cool. Um, and then the one after that added this Revelations defense game. Yeah. And then Assassin's Creed 3 was so bloated and awful. And then, Again, almost a, you know, the, it's the new engine. And it, yeah. it was almost the Assassin's Creed 1 approach. It's like, you know, here's this experimentation of what we want Assassin's Creed to be. But we don't have enough time to realize it. So we'll let the masses see what they like and what they don't like. And then we'll just mm-hmm. implement it next time. Yeah. And it's like that, this piecemeal approach to game development that's harmed the series. And again, they keep heaping stuff on a, on a, on a, on a foundation that was never awesome to begin with. Yeah. That's, uh, I mean, one of the, the only game that was served well by that approach, I think, was Black Flag. When, mm-hmm. you know, you, all the stuff that you were buying and all this wealth that you're accumulating would then be funneled back into your ship. Uh, which you needed to bulk up to pass through more difficult areas. Like, but we can both admit, we can both admit that Black Flag was never intended to be probably an Assassin's Creed game, right? Yeah, I'm, the best, the worst part of those games were the the sneaky missions where you had to follow somebody or, or something like that. Yeah, because the whole pirate aspect was awesome. Yeah, the pirate aspect was great, but in terms of how it fit in with the greater Assassin's Creed narrative. I mean, I guess it's just, what do you take from these games? But it's hard for me to, if a game has a story, I have to consider that story. I can't just, it's like, I can't go see Transformers just for the action because, and shut off my brain because the rest is dumb. You know what I mean? And it's like Black Flame's narrative and how much liberty it took with this Assassin. They took all these games to build up this Assassin and then they just kind of shit on it. Edward just Mm -hmm. is an Assassin in a day. You know, it's like, yeah. it just didn't really work for me. But, I mean, the game, the prior, the gameplay aspects, those those did work, right? Yeah, they, were, they worked fine. And I think Assassin's Creed is also hampered by that meta-narrative that they insist on, you know, keeping with it. The story about somebody being in an animus to inhabit an ancestor. And, 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 and David, would you admit it was kind of, like, in the first game, it was kind of interesting, right? It wasn't that interesting to me. Like, I, I, I could never care about okay. and stuff. Um, mostly because, you know, Bioshock did the whole meta-narrative better. Sure. Uh, but, like, even that, like, the, the interesting part of the first Assassin's Creed, to me, was always the setting and the political problems there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, climbing and then moving through crowds and all that stuff. The whole idea of calling attention to the game as a game uh, and, you know, you're actually puppeteering this character 
or you're playing a character who's playing a character isn't this cool and meta it's just, yeah. it's just very boring but i'll fully admit i'm i'm on board with you although i was the interest was peaked in the first game i, I kind of thought it'd be cool and you could see you know they build up one day desmond's this modern assassin we play this game but it's like it was clear from the second game on it's just they they completely dropped the ball and it's like i hope they would just I almost hope they would do a soft reboot of the narrative, although they're not going to, and just take the, the the Assassin Templar confrontation, but just leave it in, like, let it be known that it's carried on through generations, and that's good enough. We don't have to go back to the modern day. It's like, Assassins versus Templar is far more compelling as is without these modern day puppeteers, as you say, pulling the strings. Like, this just, it's it's pointless, and it takes you out of that that experience, and I just hope they... The and it sort of marginalized the the antagonist too because no matter what everything you're doing has already happened right. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I just wanted to get into this conversation because it's like an example of some game criticism between you and I. Yeah, I I think that it's a it's still a, a fun viable franchise and this latest one with uh, Evie Fry she's probably my favorite assassin. Uh, now, I'm always a, a year behind with these games, so I haven't got to it yet, but uh, I'll definitely play it's, it. It's pretty great until you get to the ending and that it calls attention to the modern meta narrative and uh, a bunch of characters you, you don't care about. Yeah. Nothing happens to. And, and the apple and whatever and the Eden yeah. pieces. Like, yeah, I just, I guess the next one, they're taking the year off. The next one's going to be in Egypt, supposedly. Yeah. And again, uh, the guy who I love, Jason Schreier, he broke this news couple months ago at least a month and a half ago the press or the press sneak sneak fuck as ubisoft has coined him right that's in one of the leaked emails that's what that's what one of these guys called him press sneak fuck that's funny eh? but anyway yeah um so yeah there's some some game criticism for assassin's creed from david and jason uh okay right right now um i'm actually playing bloodborne Okay. Is this the first time through? It is. Uh, I actually just did a video today, like, um, you know, this whole Rose experience doing a podcast, but I do these videos, I guess. And this is my own way to push my own opinions in, 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 into games coverage as it is. But I did a video, what was it called? Games are better when you wait. Because it's like almost every large AAA release, and then I give credit to Nintendo because they're the only ones, it's like that seal of quality is finally proving itself true all these years later because they don't release broken games anymore. But it's like every game I played, or and, and so many of them that were nominated for, for Game of the Year, as I just used examples all there's more, it's like they were better if you waited, objectively. Like The Witcher 3, I played that game six months after release, and I objectively had a far better game experience than the people on day one. Bloodborne, the, the, the loading times were awful when they were first released. There was, you know, there was there was uh, duping glitches and things like that. Now, all this time later, I am playing an objectively better game. And guess what? I saved a ton of money. I'm not cheap. I'm a guy who comes from just like you. I used to pay $100 and $110 for cartridges. I'm Canadian, right? So my games have always been more expensive. So I have no problem buying games. What's that? I bought mine at pawn shops or if mm-hmm. a friend was selling I did not own a lot. Yeah, so, so like, I've gone from this place of having to buy everything and wanting to buy everything day one to support, and it's like, I feel like these game companies aren't doing enough to earn my money, because 
if the only thing I'm sacrificing, David, is being a part of the conversation on day one, and the alternative is, one, I save money, two, I get a far better gaming experience, and three, it respects my time, which you'll admit our time is more valuable these days. Like, what am I choosing? Like, I'd rather not being part of the conversation on day one as much as it hurts, uh, but I'd rather play a better game. Bloodborne's, Bloodborne's still so good. Uh, See, and this is the thing. I, I suppose we can get into another mini critique discussion, too, because I'll fully admit, like, I've never been a huge Souls fan. Mm -hmm. I, I have this this thing, and it's like I see the flaws, and I'll admit, like, I think the fan base has sort of influenced me a bit because I'm like, it's like no matter what. Like, the, my respect is, or, or my perspective is, they're, they're good games, but you can still give them critique. But the overarching fan base seems to not want to accept the critique involved with Souls games. Yeah, that could be pretty smug. You know, it's this, it's this get good mentality. But the thing is, I am good. I play all these action games on hard and, 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 and whatever, and I pride myself on playing these games at a, at a, at a high level. But, and I don't even think the games are all that hard, but it's just I feel like they get away with so much that other games don't get away with just because, and the overarching excuse is, is like, it was intended to be that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't engage with a lot of fandoms. Mm -hmm. And anyways, I, I, I love Dark Souls. I didn't so much feel it for Demon Souls, but I love those games because I love environmental storytelling. I like how those games use space to communicate and uh, in in ways that other games, you know, maybe don't. Um, and I, I love Dark Souls' weird, dark romanticism and its its kind of gothic beauty. Uh, and I like Bloodborne too for for those same reasons, although they do it from a different angle of just. Uh, hyper stylized grotesque mm -hmm. uh, but that element of this place feels like it has a story and is telling me a story through you know either the movements of the characters or through cryptic descriptions uh, fascinates me so it fascinates I, me as well but i i mean before you jump off this point i want to like in even in the the face of uh, the omission of, of an overarching narrative. Like, no, don't get me wrong. I don't want everything spoon-fed to me, but there's so many things in these games that it's like, I, I feel there could just be a hint of more storytelling there that is non-environmental that, that could make them better. But it seems like I'm in the minority in that respect. Um, no, I think that that's, that's fair. Um, although for me, more on the aspect of mechanics rather than the story okay um those games can be pretty withholding about i agree there as well completely or how you should build your character um because you can specialize yourself right out of a decent game that you have to grind and those games are not built for you know certain types of level grinding and i think that they i'm not so much interested in in leading me a bit more on the the narrative front, but, uh, you know, it took me forever to play Dark Souls because I kept building the wrong character and using the wrong weapons, so I had to kind of spec based on 
a few wikis that I found. And, mm-hmm. it took and that sort of flies in the face of years to finish that game. And that sort of flies in the face of what a lot of people put the Souls games forward as. It's like, you know, play your own way and, and, and go from there. But that's not really reality in the face of the... These games are so front-loaded in terms of the difficulty curve. I'm, I'm convinced that they get easier. Especially Bloodborne. Like, I'm seeing that. Like, I'll tell you, like, I didn't have any problem from the beginning. Just, I mean, all these games... Let's be... Like, the gameplay is, is good. Mm-hmm. And it's weighty. But it's simple, right? Like, you know, you roll, you dodge, you slice. Mm-hmm. You know, the comp, there's no combo attacks, really, although there is nuances to the attacks once you master it. But again, it's that withholding of information. Like, I found out about the jumping attack with um, the R-stick forward and the R2 button, where you would just jump at them on a whim. It's no attack ever ever showed me that, and I found that attack to be so useful as I as I progressed through the game. Right. Yeah, it's a that game's so much more in in Dark Souls too, but it's it's more about spacing than it is about button memorization. Yeah. Uh, Which I like because I'm terrible at button memorization, so I'm Mm -hmm. terrible at fighting games. Uh, But that one again, it's that kind of diegetics of space and that, that teach you how to move uh, that, that fascinates me. Mm-hmm. Now, would you object uh, to more narrative in, in the Soulsborne's games? Oh, I don't, I don't know. You don't know. It just depends. Again, it depends on how it's done, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, you could, yeah, I think that you could, add a little bit more context for your actions, but I, I kind of like being lost in the world and seeing if I can dig my way out of, you know, whatever hell they put you through. Um, I think that there's almost this narrative purity in removing that, the, the sort of comfort of uh, strictures that, you know, we expect solid exposition. We expect to know why we have to you know, ring these bells, or um, we expect to know what we have to do to find the the healing church. Um, mm-hmm. Those types of things are are narrative comfort for people, right? And when they're removed, the game just makes us focus on how to interact with the environment in terms of spacing, or um, you know, knowing where all these monsters are. So I don't. I don't know. I like being discomforted by a lack of narrative. But again, that's why I I like modernism. And I wrote a chapter on James Joyce for my dissertation. Uh, okay. Because I'm weird. <laughs> like, I, no, you're not weird. I'm a, I'm not a, I don't need a story to be engaged. I don't. Mm-hmm. No, and, and that's the thing. Like, when I, I've gotten that answer. I don't need it either. But a little bit more wouldn't help. You know, a little bit less obtuse in... The explanation of gameplay and mechanics, again, I can figure them out just fine, and I do. Uh, it's just I've been playing games long enough to understand that how to figure things out. I mean, I was around far before, long before strategy guides and, and, and the internet where anything was at the, the touch of my fingers. I had to figure all these things out. And games were much harder because of that years and years ago. So again, it's not the difficulty of these games that, that deters me. But it's like I have these 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 minor problems. Again, you don't 
engage with the fandom, but it's like mm -hmm. anytime you try to put forward some of this critique, it, it just immediately is shot down, and that's always been frustrating to me. A little bit more couldn't hurt. Yeah. Extra Credits had a really good uh, video about how to find an easy mode for Dark Souls 2. Okay. And they kind of detail how to spec your character and play it if you just want to appreciate things like the environmental storytelling or the wonderful vistas mm -hmm. or whatever. So, like, there are there are probably builds you can find to make the game easier. So for Bloodborne, my character was she was just focusing on strength. Yeah, like it. I mean, bit what I was trying to do. It, it it's it's a much different pace, right, than the other games. It's it's it rewards aggressive play. So, I mean, there might be hidden tricks, and, and I guess to find them, you do have to engage with that community, but I would much rather read a wiki than ask some rando on Twitter. Mm -hmm. But you know what else I'd like? You know what I'd, else I'd like better than those two options? A tutorial? Just, no, not a tutorial. Just, like, not a coin tutorial. Like, I don't want that. <laughs> but I think there's a way that could be meshed into the world. Yeah. You know, that... Rather than, and again, those little notes with the, you know, and the guy puts this, that thing forward, and it can be done better than that as well. I just think there's, there's it's like, Bloodborne's, I've, I've latched onto it more. I played Demon Souls a lot. Dark Souls, I didn't get into as much, but that really doesn't, probably doesn't say as much to the game, just where I was in terms of my life and what other games were in front of me at the time. I've always wanted to go back and play it. I just haven't. But Bloodborne, um, it, it's, it's there for me, and and it's not like that thing where it, it bothers me that, that people try to coin these games as like they're so smart and you learn through death and you learn all this stuff. You know what? That's not a new concept. It's been around for a long time. And I, giving the Soulsborne game that that moniker like they were the only person to do it, is it's kind of insulting. And, and it's like I've seen other games try to do this through difficulty. For instance, I'll use... An example I used uh, when I was discussing this exact thing with someone else, it's like God of War Ascension. Again, completely different, but God of War Ascension had this this thing at the end. Uh, it was this the trial. It wasn't the trial of the gods, but something of that nature. And then yeah, it was... Uh, yeah. Do you remember? Do you know what I'm talking uh, about? Yeah, you had to follow and, those snake things. All yeah, and, and, and it was a constantly changing environment and it got progressively difficult. Basically, you'd have to take all you've learned and implement it to, to, to move forward. And the outcry was insane, and, and, and reviews docked at points for this, and they want, they demanded to, to be patched. And Sony Santa Monica eventually did patch it. Mm -hmm. But this, you know what I mean? It's like, that doesn't apply to the Souls Boards games. It's like, there are these in, like big difficulty arcs sometimes, especially front-loaded, that actually try to dissuade you and, and our newcomers from playing the game, yet that's excused by, you know, get good, or, you know what I mean, the game's trying to teach you something from the onset, but it's like, that just seems like an excuse to me. Yeah, well, in God of War Ascension, it felt like that dif difficulty spike came out of nowhere uh, to me, but... See, but uh, at the time, like, I'll be honest, I didn't even find it difficult. I beat it on my second time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it took me a few tries. Uh, and then I played it at the patch. Uh, but yeah, I uh, I don't know. I know it's a bit of a weird example, and they're completely different games. I'm just saying, like, one game gets away with it as a rule, whereas another game that has, again, let's say 
they were trying to teach you something before the end boss, you know, and everyone eventually made it through this thing, but they couldn't get away with it. Yeah. Um, some games like Super Meat Boy get away with things like that, or, uh, I mean, a lot of trial and error games, I mean, that's like a, a mainstay from the arcade era, mm -hmm. right? Make it difficult so people have to spend their money and, and play the games, but so it comes off as kind of a novelty in a third-person adventure game. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll still see it in, in side-scrollers a lot or things like that, but uh, I don't know. And uh, don't get me wrong, like, people listening to this, I'm not calling for easier game. I'm just maybe an easier-to-digest way to go about it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, and then, like, the game has its wikis or whatever to help you out. Um, but. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, I mean, that's, we've sort of touched on, you know, where games, how games are covered. We've given some examples of, of the way we like to talk about games you know, face to face, but I mean, we could easily both write about these and other people have wrote about these, oh, yeah. these games and franchises. And these are just examples. Um, and we talked about how, how streaming and, and YouTube sort of plays into it. And we don't really see it as being a substitute for, but a companion to, um, I suppose the way we could sort of end it with this discussion, uh, is, is just, I mean, I wrote down how it can be fixed. I, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be fixed as we sort of put forward here. You said, you know, all these things can exist together. But, I mean, if we're talking about it from a business aspect, something has to change. Would you agree with that? Uh, I mean, something will change. It'll either get worse in that sense or, uh, like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if something has to to change like are you talking about it has to change in order to be fixed or it has to change in order to still remain financially viable i guess it could be all of those i mean financially viable definitely i mean there's no doubt it's going to change again we've both said that it you know games coverage and the way we consume it is in its, it's in its infancy and it's still sort of finding its legs but um it's just i i guess like if how would you like games to be covered? I mean, in an ideal way, let's, I mean, from, from a larger standpoint and how games are put forward to, to, to the masses, like for instance, sports has ESPN, right? That, that, and, and other outlets in Canada, we have the score and we have TSN. These are big ways that people consume sports. Of course, there's the blogs as well. And I mean, use that analogy to games, kill screen, you know, the smaller things to insulate the other ones and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. it seems like they have an easier time of existing and being profitable in these other industries, whereas in games they're drying up. I guess, um, yeah, like how would you, you know, games to be covered by a big outlet? I don't know. Just uh, yeah. Um, if game, if you if you could get your games coverage and critique Utopia, how would it look there? Um. I would be paid. Yes. <laughs> That's not, um, you know, I, would, I wish that uh, writing would be, you know, more 
valued in terms of both financial and cultural capital, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, I don't, I think that the first way that we, we fix it is to start or at least stop thinking about it as a, a monolithic voice, right? It's to recognize that other people are, are writing, you know, these profound articles or, mm -hmm. you know, these quizzical meditations or, um, you know, these almost literary critiques uh, and, and manifestos and, and all sorts of things. And to, you know, maybe if, you know, the, the site isn't going to incorporate that, if the site's going to stay in, in list form or, uh, you know, just promote news, maybe have a weekly section to where they're like in other news or from other voices. Um, here's, you know, Keita Jackson talking about fashion and Assassin's Creed. Mm -hmm. you know, here's, a, here's some articles that you may have missed. Um, Kotaku does something like that on the weekends uh, that I think is useful to say, hey, there are other things out there. Mm -hmm. I think that it's easy to think of games criticism as monolithic if you only frequent uh, IGN, if you only frequent Polygon or, or GameSpot. Um, so maybe if, you know, if these outlets are going to stay in their lane, at least show people that there are other lanes in which to travel. I agree. And would you, like, I, I hold this standpoint that these other, again, the people that will only digest these, these larger sites, monolithic, as you say, and that's how they view it. But in that respect, the larger outlets aren't living up to their responsibility. They aren't pushing the medium forward. And that is my biggest problem. I, I just feel like, you know, for instance, you know, you talk about the fashion and Assassin's Creed as a thing. I, I feel like IGN would do this, but put it in as a, in as a list. Yeah. And that's supremely disappointing. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, I'm not even talking don't have lists, but when that is, that seems to be you're doing, for instance, I, like I'll, I'll say it flat out. Like I listened to Justin Davis, who's the head of editorial direction there at IGN now. And it's like, yeah, we're working on a, a thing right now. It's like the top 10. And I, I honestly, I hear him say this all the time. I'm like, really? That is what you're doing. That is your job. That is what you're paid for. Like, I, I feel like someone could come up with the top 10 list in two hours. Yeah, but even then, those can be fun. Like, if sure. you over it, Pace did the uh, the top ten Harry Potter games. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful article. It's, it's funny and it's it's clever. And I'm not even saying these things shouldn't be exist, but when they are yeah. the thrust of your editorial coverage, that's a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Um, or at least, I mean, maybe it's not a problem in and of itself for that site, but it no. might be a problem if it's just that and you're not saying, oh, well, by the way, here's, you know, some independent work from somebody else. Or um, let's, look at, let's look at what's going on at the Arcade Review or uh, things like that. So maybe, I guess maybe to, to answer your question would be like to have more of a dialogue from different voices, like, uh, engage with other articles so like as you know whoever says over at unwinnable you know or yeah you know they were writing about this thing um i'm going to engage with their idea and then build upon it or i'm going to take that idea and and move it in another direction 
And I think that comes from me being in the academy for so long, everybody citing everybody. And, and, you know, you have to find a, a way to intervene in a dialogue about a certain text or tradition and be aware of that dialogue. And well, I that's how ideas and lines of thinkings are, yeah. they're expanded okay. upon, and that's really how they do it. I mean, again, I'll use the sports analogy. Someone from SI will write this poignant piece about some player in basketball, and then uh, Network A has them on the show to talk about it, and they expand upon it. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, you, you like to engage with the gentleman who you frequently disagree with, but he opens your eyes to different things. Again, this is a dialogue that can be carried forward on a business and professional level in games as well. Yeah. So, like, if other sites would, you know, pick up what somebody else is putting down and then, you know, find a way to cultivate this this dialogue, as we say, mm -hmm. uh, that would be helpful. So, yeah. make the readership aware that you're not the only thing out there and you're not the only type of writing out there and then engage with these other types of writing in a way that's profound and each of you can benefit from them. Uh, I guess would be the short answer to solve this problem. Mm -hmm. uh, if we want to keep calling it a problem. Yeah. I mean, I think games coverage on a larger scale is a victim of immediacy. Um, yeah the need to get in, you know, the clicks now. This has to hit hard now. And Kotaku's done a good job. Like, again, I keep going, like, I love a lot of what they're doing, but from a site, uh, I feel like they need to revamp their site, get off that that thing, and, and just the way the layout is to make it more easily digestible. It's like, you know, for the betterment, it, it, that way it's, it's easier, easier to consume. The, what they're what they're putting forward because a lot of what they're doing I don't know why can you help me with this why do, why does Kotaku have some sort of a bad rep for some well, of the stuff they've done in the past um I mean I don't want to meditate on Gamergate or anything okay uh, but they do have that I think Consumers of games criticism aren't used to reading games like we would uh, a book. You know, we're not used to looking at games and saying, oh, this is some of the values that are expressed in there. Um, let's dig into why that is. Mm -hmm. uh, and Kotaku being a big site is one of the, the big sites that are actually doing that in a way that turns people off. Okay. Um, especially those who just want the news or just want to know how a game works and if it works well. Um, and I, I think that that's why it's got okay. that rap. No, I feel like there's just something else there. I, I just get that here and there, but I don't know. But I like, I look at, I don't know. for instance, it's almost like they've, I know they took a stance against preview coverage. And, and instead of that, they want to continue the conversation of games, like games that have come out and, you know, follow up with, a Bioshock Infinite five months after release. It's like this, we talk about it months and months before, and then the review comes out and the game's out, and it's just, there's no follow-up. There's no nothing. There's no existential discussion of what the impact is on the genre or what the ending meant and how that feeds in and relates in different ways, things that you might touch on in your class, for instance. I mean, why isn't that being put forward and discussed? And I feel like they've taken a pretty strong stance yeah. And, and and they haven't given the, the the rightful due for it again. And recently, like they've done more to try to fix, if that's the way you want to put it, the reviews. 
I mean, they went from the yes or no to the maybe, and now they've completely ditched that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like I'm not – in terms of reviews, I honestly don't know how I feel about scores. Like ideally, I wouldn't like the scores at all. Just – no, I should say, like ideally, I actually wouldn't mind a score, I should say. But I don't think a score can exist and have the review be consumed in terms of a text – and, and, and as its own thing. It's like the need for the, they just want to scroll to the bottom, most of the people, and that's what they see. And then when you take that out, do you lose viewers, but you create a better discussion? I don't know. But they've taken a stance against the, the whole Metacritic uh, uh, need to be a part of that thing, which I hate in terms of reviews and, and, and critical discussion. Like, I just think it, it, if this, it, it, it stunts and, and, and stops a lot of critical discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm not. I mean, uh, I write for Kill Screen, and we have numerical reviews and a, a justification for that. Um, so I'm not against, you know, slapping a number on it. But mm-hmm. I am against slapping a number on it and not communicating in the body of the review how that's an expression of, you know, what it is that you value about the game mm-hmm. or what it is that you think that the game missed. And I'm against understanding a review score um, of, you know, and, and, you know, grades in general um, as something that's just solid mm-hmm. or something that's, that's just immovable or absolute. Uh, I mean, it's, it's almost cliche to, to, stand on top of the hill and scream there's no such thing as objective criticism yeah um but i mean it's 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 true and it's it's obvious yeah uh, but uh i think part of that just comes from games criticism popping up in a time when film critique was should you spend your money mm-hmm. games kind of do the same and they just adopted and it the reader, yeah and the readership is is that's what they expect but as yeah. long as you've got, you know, sites that offer that and, uh, and then other sites that offer something else. Uh, I mean, my most read articles on Kill Screen are uh, reviews of popular games that I didn't like. like okay. I, I was deeply disappointed in Batman Arkham Knight. And the comments on there are people telling me how wrong I am to be deeply disappointed. <laughs> um people like to get pissed off about things. Uh, sure. Same with Battlefronts. Now, how do you deal with that, like, as a, as a writer and, and, and person? Like, how do you deal with those? Do you engage? No, I don't, I don't, I don't care that much. Do you engage at all in, in people that uh, engage you on social media or, or, or comment sections of your piece? Like, I, this is leading to something else mm-hmm. in, I, in terms of me. Sometimes, uh, I reviewed Jack King Spooner's Beeswing. Okay. Which is a game I have since taught and, and grown to um, appreciate, though I, I still don't like it as much as everybody else does. Uh, and I did, you know, look around for after my review hit, like my, you know, I said I don't really have that much emotion tied up in my reviews unless it's disappointment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was one that I, I desperately wanted to like, but I, I realized it, it just wasn't for me. And in the initial draft, the review was 
me expressing how this game is not for me. Um, and then I, I rewrote it a bit uh, and talked about how I was disappointed. Um, but since the review was for a game that was largely the brainchild of, of one person who uh, you know wrote, directed, produced the fantastic soundtrack for it, mm-hmm. um, I felt a lot of guilt for not writing about it. So, or for not, you know, having a favorable reaction to it. And that's the only time that's ever happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so I immediately, you know, hunted down what other people had written. Um, and I engaged as many people as I could on Twitter to see what is it I'm missing. Sure. Um, and, you know, I had a, a handful of articles to read about it. That I, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I didn't always agree with. I didn't find it as uh, effective as, as a bunch of other people did. But uh, in engaging with people who thought largely different from me, I did gain some sort of appreciation for it. Okay. I like a lot of other games that Jack Kingspooner has made, and I'm eager to see this new one that he's doing. Um, and what's that called? Uh, I have forgotten. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't remember. We'll look it up. Um, I suppose where I was getting at with the engagement, I find, uh, like, in terms of comment sections or mm-hmm. social media, whatever, um, it's like personalities for whatever site and, and whatever. It's like they, when they choose to engage, they always engage the negative. And I've never understood that. If you want to foster growth and, and positive conversation and critique, aren't those the people that you want to engage in? It's always like you, you want to have this closeness with your audience. You know, you're building a brand or whatever the hell you're doing. And it's like the only people you end up talking to are the people throwing shit your way. We're just going to get shit in return. Like I just, if you want to generate, uh, you know, a critical and, and growth and discussion, that's the type of people you have to choose to engage with. And that's, that's why I was wondering if you ever engage with people that, you know, have differing opinions and only if they, well, they yeah, deserve it. It's like the internet, like the internet is a shitty place. A lot of the times it just is. Yeah. And there's a lot of shitty people out there. And you know what? I'm just only going to engage with the people that, you know, like if someone disagrees with me, it's perfectly fine. You don't have to agree with me, but you know, approach it how you would approach me in real life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like when we, when you and I were both blogging over at IGN, um, and they would run an article on the front page, and the first thing that I would have is people telling me how I'm reading too much into it. Oh yeah, like I get it. You know, you're talking about pretentious and, and stuff. Like, yeah. But again, I don't care. Like that's, I mean, I, we'd have articles that have 900 comments on them or opinion pieces or whatever. But, and then I look, honestly, at first, this is something I had to learn. And I think a lot of people have learned. I would get caught up in the negativity too. It's like this, this need to prove your point or whatever, but you've already said what you had to say. And, and yeah. y- your task as the writer, as an informed person is, you know, you put so much thought into it. It's not like you just barfed out these words on the page and then hit publish. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and it's just fostering that the betterment of discussion in games critique or coverage has to start with the writer or, or the person. And I just felt like all too often these guys, it's like the guys and girls, the only people they would choose to engage with are the people that are spewing negativity towards them. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, go ahead. Sorry. 
No, I just, I mean, it's, it's easy for me to write an article and then not engage with people because I've never been completely bombarded by it. Um, and I can see why people get burned out. Lee Alexander is taking a break for how long? Mm-hmm. Now. Um, Maddie Bryce, Jen Frank uh, have all been chased out due to, um, you know, just the that negativity and that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, cyber mob crap that happens to, you know, some really talented writers. Um, it is nothing short of a shame it's nothing short of a shame and it's, it's often stomach turning um but uh I, I think it's easy for me to say don't just don't engage with the negativity because i'm not bombarded by it and, and part yeah. of it is you know the the stuff that i get would be you know 40 times worse if i were a woman or a person of color oh sure yeah like i don't disagree but i mean I... <laughs> I mean, there's 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 movie celebrities, there's sports people. I, I mean, this is sort of getting off the where I want to go with this, but sometimes you can just choose not to. You yeah. can, you don't have to. You know, it, in, it gives you the best thing about social media and the internet is you can walk away. But then again, sometimes you can't because there's some really bad people out there that you know you dox yeah. or, or whatever. But that's a whole other discussion and you are right i mean to a certain extent but i I feel like sometimes you can choose not to yeah uh so i don't yeah unless i i can learn something from a certain amount of negativity or poor reaction to my writing i don't i don't bother okay i guess for me not fixing but there's there's things that i would i think would help our passion and and the thing that the games and this thing we love and, and, and talk about and write about more and in, in, in the public eye, it would be first I would start with professionalism. Um, I find there's an extreme lack of professionalism and, and projection of professionalism. I, it's like, again, I, I touched on it earlier, but I'll go with Jeff Keeley. Um, there, I don't think there's any mystery as to why Jeff Keeley seems to get all the biggest scoops and the biggest gigs. Uh, I think it comes down to one, he's quite good at his job. Two, he's been in in a lot of experience, but he also projects this this aura of professionalism, which is pretty rare in the video game coverage and and space. Would you like? Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, um, I also think that he might be a robot, but <laughs> like, and 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 you know what? The guy has gaming chops too. Like, he knows what oh, he's talking about. I find it funny. And that, you know, this this image of the Mountain Dew and Doritos, which is supremely entertaining, don't get me wrong. But it's like, this this is the face of everything that is wrong with games coverage. But yet, just, you know, the hypocrisy of taking branding deals from these people that they prop up of bastions of gaming clarity on YouTube mm-hmm. is, is, is hilarious to me. Like, do they, I mean, do they understand, you know, sponsorship in business? And the separation between how that pertains with, with gays, I, I just don't know, and it, and it happens everywhere. But anyway, professionalism is the first thing. Like, don't look like you just crawled out of your basement and that you don't give any shits. And, you know what I mean, any Joe Blow can come to your job because, you know what, then they could. Like, again, 
once again, it's, it's getting tired, but I use that sports analogy. There isn't one sports journalism I ever see on anything that isn't dressed well. You know, it, it projects an aura of like, they're here to work. This is my job. I care about what I'm doing. And I mean, you don't have to be a suit and tie guy, but you just have to look like you give a shit. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, it's trusting your audience and it's don't live in that immediacy uh, because you know what, if we live in that thing, what isn't, you know, sometimes ideas and, and, and writing and, and anything, a, a good film may not be appreciated till years later. Mm-hmm. Um, a good book may put forth ideas that take months and months or longer to understand. And they can only be understand through conversation. And I don't think that can be any different than, than what we do in games. Like just because, Long-form writing and, and, and critical discussion on an, an elevated level isn't working right now. doesn't mean it can't work in the long run. You just have to look, you know, how do you promote this? And, like, is it enough? You can't just put this on your front page and then it just it's off your feed. It's gone for good. That's not good enough. And the sites who have these huge audiences that have more leeway to, to work with are not living up their responsibility and pushing games coverage in a medium for it. I feel like they could bust these doors open for for a lot of, of writers and, and new ways to talk about games and they're just they just choose not to do it for I think honestly boring business decisions that you know it's like there's there's slaves to this greater business mind that projects these ideas down onto them and then rather than rebutting them they just accept them and and, and go through the tried and true and put that stuff forward like you know, you review games. I understand it's really difficult to to review a game twice, you know, to have conflicting opinions. But again, we can take what your idea did, um, have an agreement with other sites, you know, and who had a, a really good review with a conflicting opinion. And then here's what so-and-so from Killscreen had to say about uh, Arkham Knight. And they could use yours. And that fosters a different discussion, you know. And then you, and then you follow it up. And that's where the thing, like, I never understood where... IGN just despairs their community because then you engage with the community and they can carry the conversation for you and create content for you. Right. Like, it's just like it, it was its own beast that they just shit on because they were narrow minded. And it's yeah. like sometimes creative people aren't the best business people. Ken Levine comes to mind, for instance. Mm. It's like he needed an editor. Some people need an editor uh, in that, that in their life or their writing or whatever they're doing creatively. But, you know, Bioshock Infinite took six years when it probably should have never taken that long, and they scrapped so much of it. And Ken Levine could have been, been best served as just creating the game rather than all the other business decisions that came along with that. Right. And I feel like that's – it's true in so many other things. But, you know what I mean, you need – anyway, I don't know where I'm getting with that. But, yeah, they just need – Go ahead. Sorry. I like, your point. I like your point about the the immediacy that you've been, you know, kind of carrying through this whole conversation. Um, mostly because I, I think that you're right in in a number of aspects about that. Because it it first of all devalues the information. It makes that uh, this sort of here's an idea as quick as you can go and then it's forgotten. Yep. It makes writing more ephemeral, and then secondly, it it does games a disservice in that sense too. Like it puts them as, you know, a thing that is really hot for a second and then we leave it behind. Uh, which I, uh, you know, we see it now when we're keeping, you know, 
keeping up with new hardware and new systems and we're having trouble of uh, trying to figure out about how to archive all these games, right? We, the, we have to have a system of an archival system that's not the, that's, that's not just emulators. Mm-hmm. Playing a, an NES game on a computer emulator is not the same experience as playing it on an NES. Um, and that, that sense of games criticism or games discussion happening quickly and then is forgotten kind of devalues games in the same way it devalues that information. It makes mm-hmm. them seem ephemeral, like yep. pieces of a moment that we don't necessarily need to preserve. Yeah, and it's like the only time these games are ever brought up again is in Game of the Year discussions, which is just right. here's this thing that we covered and then forgot about for this time, but here it is again, and all you're going to hear about it is this snippet that we choose to wrote right underneath it. Yeah. Oh, and that's just it's 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 disappointing because games are eternal and there's this fantastic medium that need to be you know they're not this they're when they are released that should just be the beginning not the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that it's, it may be healthy to think of, you know, long-form pieces of games criticism or, or you know, putting games in, in different contexts is, is an act of preservation. I mean, if mm-hmm. somebody's writing about Red Dead Redemption now, if somebody has a clever thing to say about Red Dead Redemption and the frontier or uh, gender roles of the American West or mm-hmm. something like that, um, or Polygon's fantastic piece game. about the voice actor for James Mar- Marston. Yeah, that was a wonderful piece. Oh, it was, it was um, incredible, yeah. So, you know, those those ways are, are keeping the game present in... Uh, Different ways. It, it, it is an act of preservation. And I wonder, mm-hmm. too, if we should also think about aspects of games criticism as sort of preserving these ideas or, or the value of games in a way that, you know, like you said, that the drip feed immediacy is, is not cutting it. No, it's not. And it's, it's like you mold your audience to accept that. Yeah. I, I feel like when you have, when you were fortunate enough to have an audience that serves you by the tens of millions or whatever the hell it is, or even anything, it doesn't matter big or small, you have to respect them. Um, you know, you have to put quality content out there if you want quality engagement back. Like, you get out what, you know, you, you get back what you put out. That's true at anything in life. I'm a firm believer in that. Um, and and by putting out this, you know, the, the, the need for the clicks and the immediacy of this content. And, again, there's a, there's a place for it. There is. But there's other, there's a place for better stuff that is not, not being served. And whether that's through partnerships with other sites that are serving that base and garnering things that way, or that's done through video, which I, I think can be done so much better. I've always wanted to just, I remember I, I had this, uh, this, I, I think I had a few drinks one day and I wrote this um, mission statement for IGN and I emailed it to Pear Schneider. Um, Cause I talked to him. I met him at a night, uh, a first Friday one time there. And um, I emailed him. We we went back and forth on it. I just and honestly, a lot of the stuff I said here, I, I just put into it because I did. I just didn't care. I was just gonna say whatever I wanted, and all this stuff, the professionalism, blah blah blah. But I just said, I'm like, there's. I've always had this idea. You know, you could you could do a TV show with all these other different personalities, and you could bring in, you know, David Chandler from TV show. You, do you ever watch Around the Horn on ESPN? No. Oh, uh, Around the Horn is basically you have a host. Okay, you have a host. 
um, then you have four guests from whoever. Like, it's a sports show. They have so someone for the Boston Globe, the Washington Post, you know, the New York, whatever. And all these people come in and they, stu- they discuss these hot-button topics, okay? Uh-huh. And then they get points for them. And you, it's just this revolving door of... Of, of personalities and discussion about today's it's, it's a way to get the immediacy of the news but from different perspectives and you can build on it and you know you, you do a show a week or whatever and, and the guy like he loved that show but he's like you know it's really expensive this and that i'm like i don't i don't really see how that would be overall that expensive you know it's a, editing and, and things like that nature but i just think there's so many avenues to explore from the big to the small like we've talked about you know critical discussion on a, on a written level, but you could advance it in large ways too. Like, uh, you know, I think there, the, the time is right to, to push games coverage forward in a big way. You know, take a risk. You can't, you can't win big if you don't, don't take big risk. And the only way you're able to take big risk is when you've garnered that, that, uh, that mind share and, and that, that trust from an audience. Yeah. Us, it's, it is easy to, play it safe, I suppose. And like I said, that sort of empty calorie drip feed of uh, ephemeral, easily mm-hmm. digestible information versus the long form articles. But I suppose um, like, you know, people are saying you read too much into things and I've gotten that myself. And I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are perfectly fine with the way games are talked about, put forward and and available to digest. But I'm not. I'm always searching for ways things can be better. I'm I don't know, I suppose I'm just a critic by nature, and by having this discussion, you know, who knows, maybe someone listens to this one day, you know, the, the 10 or 15 people that are going to listen to this, and, you know, they get an idea, and then, and they put it forward, and, and, you know, that would be great, and I don't, and it goes for anything, like, we shouldn't just accept what's in front of us as the way it's going to be, and the way it should be, we could always, things can always be better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's always more than what's in front of us, and I think that That'd be one of the quickest ways to engage with that conversation is to point and gesture to, you know, other types of writing, other types of video content that's going on other than, you know, just trying to garner a, a, a singular following. But mm-hmm. yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, it's definitely a... I mean, things are changing uh, the way, I mean, games are changing extremely fast and the way games are talked about and covered are changing as, along with them. So I suppose we'll just have to see where it goes and we'll just have to vote with our eyes and our clicks and our, you know, our, our, our mouthpieces and things like that. Um, before we do our conclusion, any parting thoughts? Uh, not really. No? You think we covered pretty much everything? Yeah, just uh, know that there's a wealth of games writing out there other than the big sites. Yeah. If you like the big sites, stick to them. Uh, find your lane. Yeah. That's, and if you don't know where other writing is, find me on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Check out yeah, we're going to yeah put it forward. I was going to get to that. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I, I mean, just to summarize things I was talking about, professionalism. Trust your audience. Uh, don't be afraid to take chances and, and push things outside of your comfort zone. That goes big and small. And for anybody out there, like just, you know, if you want to write in, write about games, write about games. If you want to 
you know, podcast and, and video or if you want to do all of the above, just do it. Just, you know, respect your audience, I suppose. You know, put quality content. There's there's a lot of crap out there. Just be mindful of what you're doing and, and try to put your best foot forward like you would put your best foot forward in everyday life. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess that's all we can really ask. <laughs> uh, I think this went pretty good. I mean, it's a hard thing to really you know, summarize and, and talk about in these stages because it's yeah. so many different things. It's reviews, and you could do a five-hour discussion just about the way games are reviewed. Yeah. And it's like, I'm sure we miss so many different things where, you know, we'll hang up here, and, and I'll just be like, shit, we should have talked about that. Or, yeah, well, you know how to reach me. Yes, for sure. Um, yeah, so that's been our the state of games coverage address for... 2016 and here in February. Uh, I don't know. Like if, if, if you like what we're saying or you don't agree, you know, feel free to, to comment below, uh, you know, subscribe and all that good stuff. I'm on SoundCloud and YouTube. I'll share all the links below on Twitter. I'm at Jason Rose, a, a, like a Canadian, a, and, uh, David, you can be reached where I am on Twitter at DJ Chan zero eight. And kill screens where you're doing a lot of your writing these days. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, um, so check me out and the other, you know, very talented staff at Kill Screen as well. Yeah, check out what they're doing. Like it, it really, it takes what you know you may know as mainstream games coverage and sort of gives a completely different aspect and and viewership with it, whether you agree or you don't. I mean. The only way you learn and, and, and improve in life is just is seeing another side and being able to gauge with it uh, intelligently. And I mean, I'll, I'll admit, like, there's a lot of things out there that, I, that I, I read and I disagree with, but that just, it makes me see the other side of the coin. Yep, same mm -hmm. here. Well, thank you very much for joining me, David. Um, we got <laughs> Google Hangouts to work. First go. It, all it took yeah. was one computer reset. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, hopefully we do this again, man. Like, I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, this podcast is only third, well, fourth, but the first one was sort of just split into a couple of parts. And, you know, I, I, I like doing these different topics. And if, if in the, in the future, like, if you ever like, you know, I wouldn't mind talking about this or, or whatever, just, just hit me up anytime. This was yeah. fun. I'm happy to do it. Thanks, David. I appreciate it. Have a really great night. And thank you all for listening. This has been the Rose Experience Episode 3, The State of Games Coverage. Peace.